0: A couple of nights ago the elders gathered in this room and several other people from, from different groups and things gathered and we decided that we wanted to just reset things to perhaps recalibrate calibrate the spiritual temperature within this church and the environment. We wanted to just kind of lay our hearts bare before the Lord and trust him to do things that we can't do on our own. And in that process, it was so cool to see people come out and pray and not everybody prayed. Some people just kind of just came alongside as the elders prayed and it was just so meaningful and I think it did something. And as I'm thinking about how God is working in this environment, I know that on a personal level, he's doing things in your lives. And before I begin my message, I just want to tell you what the purpose is and why I do what I do. I'm a pastor and a big part of the tradition within our faith is that we have a preaching of a sermon that is designed to f- help God speak to everyone that, that, that is in the room. And there's a lot of things that go into what I do up here that I think you need to be made aware of. One of them is in my own personal life. I have to align the teachings of Scripture with how I live and how I relate to other people, how I think, how I carry on. And to the degree that I'm consistent will be the degree that I have a voice for God. When I'm not consistent, I don't really have much of a voice, and he can use me some, but, but not, not as much as he could if I didn't keep my life in order with Him. And so it's important for me and my role to be prepared, both in terms of who I am as a person, how I conduct myself with other people, how I spend time with God in my own private time. All of that goes to make up what I can or can't do here. Then I have to study God's Word. And I also have to get insight from people that are much smarter than myself and find out what they have to say about God's Word and come up with ways that I can bring that into this environment and help it to make sense. Have to take a 2,000 plus year old story and try to make it come alive in your hearts and minds. I can't do that. Just me and a skill. There, that's where something supernatural kicks in. You see, if all of those things are in order and other people are praying, then the hope is the things that I say during this time will actually speak to your life in some meaningful way. That God will have a timely word for you. And that's why you know, we could pipe in somebody and I think that would be awesome. You, you can definitely learn that way. But there's something about the way God designed churches that there have to be preachers connected to it because they're aware of all of the things that are going on and what God's doing. And my job is to try to be in tune with that. And then as I share what I'm getting ready to share, God is in his own way working in each of your hearts To allow his word to speak to you. Are you with me so far? Okay. The next thing that happens. Is where it gets interesting. Because sometimes you come in here. And you are so broken. What you hear. What you sing. Just lifts your spirit. But there are other times. Because God loves us just where we're at. But like. We love our kids just where we're at. We're not content to say, yeah, it's okay that when you're 36 that you can act like an 8-year-old. That's perfectly fine. God kind of looks at us in the same way and says, I'm going to kind of challenge you from time to time. And there are going to be times when you even get mad at me because I'm calling you to, to make a change. Or I'm calling you to do something that is beyond your comfort zone. That's what happens in a church by design when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. God will use this process. And the last thing I want to tell you is that the thoughts and the words that come out of my mouth are definitely part of learning and experience and teaching and preaching and that sort of thing. But there's something that God does when I come up here that I probably couldn't do in any other setting. By his grace, he, he brings thoughts to bear in a way that I can tell they're coming from him. They're not coming from me. And so when I do what I'm doing in a typical church situation, the goal is for me to try to do the best that I can to do it well and respect your time, but also for you to be willing to hear God speak through a flawed messenger like myself. And when that happens, you've honored God with your time. And my hope is that I've honored your time by doing my due diligence to be in this role. The outcome is that God works in just subtle, under the radar, oftentimes profound ways in your life. And that's what I hope will happen today as any Sunday. And with that said, I'm just going to go into the sermon and let's experience it together. But I think sometimes we just need to hear why we're here doing what we're doing. Because honestly, preaching sermons isn't on the cultural landscape radar. Listening to sermons isn't there. It is an ancient art that God uses to heal our souls and to make us the people that will be fit to live with him forever. It's necessary, it's outdated, but it works. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move into the last part of our series. Father, thank you for everyone that you've gathered into this room. And I certainly don't take their presence lightly. And I pray, Father, that you would use me by your grace... And by your grace alone, to speak your words, to bless each of us in the room as we consider how it is that we can believe even more in the different aspects of our lives that maybe we need to trust you a little more in. So help me, Father, to speak and help us to listen as we listen to your voice in the course of this time together. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, listening, that is a hard thing for sure. And the title of this message is um, Saying Yes to God. I believe in saying yes to God. And that sounds kind of like a nice Christian thing to do for sure, but I have to be honest with you, even after being a pastor for a lot of years, there are days when I don't say yes to God when I should be, when he's prompting me to do something. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you who I have to blame, my mother. Because she set me up for this. When I was a teenager and I was willful and she said, you need to clean your room. And I'm like, no, I don't. It's not important. And then she might say, you need to do the dishes. And I'd be like, I don't really want to do that inside. But my internal dialogue would be expressed like, oh, I I got something really important. I I got homework to do right now. I can't do that. And it's amazing how you just think of so many ways To defy their request. And it's just a simple request. But you work so hard to keep from having to have those people tell you what to do. And it's part of being a teenager for sure. Didn't realize that there was a flip side to the whole thing. Because having my own teenagers, I recognized a pattern. They're doing the exact same thing that I did. That's not good, it's not supposed to work that way. I'm the one who says no, not you. You say yes, it's different now. Times have changed. When I say clean your room, clean your room. But is it funny how we're, no matter how much things change, they still stay the same. And so how is it that we can help you to Say yes to God when perhaps if you're like me, you've been conditioned to say no through that critical time in your development, and it's just easy to say no. God will drop something in my head, like you need to pray for that person, or you need to have a conversation with that person, or this is an opportunity I'm laying out in front of you, you need to do something, and I'm like, no, I got other things to do. And then there are the regrets that you have in saying no, because you're like, wow, He asked me to do something simple, and I said no. And yet when I think back to his life, I realize something. He did something pretty huge for me, and I should have said yes. Now, there is something called choice architecture. That is, if you set things up just right, it's easy to say yes. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a girl that I'm really interested not me, but just theoretically, I'm really interested in, and I want her to say yes. So important, because it's a big question. What do I do? Well, set up an environment. Get some shrubs and some plants and things of that nature, and just put them in a nice, peaceful, compelling array. Better yet, Went out mixing some balloons. Because, hey, beautiful garden setting, lots of balloons. Wow. However, if you really want to hedge your bets, get on Amazon. Because the, the direction this question is going, you need Amazon to help you out with. Because the goal is to have a box that contains a beautiful object that is... On a pedestal in that environment. And when that box is opened, and that LED from that special box designed to hold a ring shines on that ring, you will not only see glorious light that is comparable to a heavenly array, if you listen carefully enough, there'll be an angelic choir off in the corner going, "Uh." (laughs) ah! Just theoretically speaking. However, I did hear something comparable to that with um, our worship leader, Brian. And his lovely bride to be, Soret. Okay, we just got to just got to show it. That's all. That's all. That's all I, I want to do. Yeah. So, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. No. You, you can go sit down. <laughs> Not. Lovely. Oh man. We celebrate that with you. That's a blessing. And what obviously you said. Yes. yes. Yeah, I bet Finally. you did. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go. All right. Well, can, can, <laughs> that's cute. Can I ask you a question, Surette? Were you tempted to say, you know what, I got some other stuff I got to do right now? This over here is important. I wanted to go study that textbook on <laughs> dental hygiene. You know, you had a lot of things you could have been doing, but for some reason, Everything said, I need to say yes. And you did. Now, here's my question. How do you take that and present Jesus in that way? Because I honestly think that that's really what the Lord intended when the gospel stories were bundled the way they were for us. That they were designed to give us a sense that when the time came for him to ask you, can I do something in your life? Or can you do something as we work together for the kingdom? We have to have a good reason. Because I, I put off and put off the first question and that is, will you accept me as your Lord and Savior? And for a long time I just said, No, I can't go there. But the more I started paying attention to who he was in the story of the Bible and the lives of people that I saw honoring him, the more I'm kind of like conflicted to where I think I want that too. And nobody's, nobody's, nobody's putting a gun to my head or anything like that. Have you ever heard... The poem, The Footprints in the Sand, anybody ever hear that? It's, it's a pretty popular poem. You know, it's, it's, you know there, was a, there was a time when um, you know, we were walking down the beach and there were two sets of footprints and it was just me and the Lord. And then there was a time when, well, life was pretty rough and I just saw one set and I'm thinking I'm going it alone. And as it turns out, God was just carrying us through that. It's not in the Bible, but it almost should be, I think. And if I could have Ryan just show that little cartoon thing, the first, the first one. This is sort of, um, it's, a, it's kind of a drawing drawing one. It's a little bit out of sequence, but I think it'll fit here. Um, no, uh, it's, it's a white, it's a white, yeah, uh, where you see one set of footprints is where I carried you. I mean, isn't that cool? If you want to draw during the message, you can do that. But don't do this. Here's the next one. And that long groove is where I drag you, kicking kicking and screaming. (laughs) And I know a lot of people feel like, yeah, you know, God's forcing me to do this. But God doesn't force us to do anything. He just asks us if we're willing. He wants us to. He calls us to. But... He's not going to force His will on us. I mean, that's, that's dark, actually, to think that someone would do that over our will. But He wants us to come to the place where, like our friends over here, we say yes, of course. And so for the rest of the message, I want to help you maybe wrap your mind and heart around the of course part of this. We're finishing up today on how we... Take the belief that we have in Jesus and allow it to be a yes when he calls us to do a number of things. Maybe it's just to trust him as his Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, I hope that you start to think about saying yes to that. Perhaps it's serving him in some way or just taking him a little bit farther into your everyday experience. Whatever the case may be, just hear me out for the next few minutes on his life. You see, this is what Jesus was thinking when he thought about asking you yes. He wanted to prove himself to everyone who might trust him. And in in Matthew chapter 21, we see something happening, and I just want to kind of set this up for you. It says that when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Oh, you know what? We got to back up. Just just got to stop right there. We can't go into that till we get into this. So we'll go to the white slides and we'll land back there. You see, Jesus knew that conversation was getting ready to happen. And he knew the significance of that conversation. And he wanted the people around him who he would be asking to say yes to him to take the significance of what he's getting ready to do and allow their minds and hearts to be wrapped around it because what he's getting ready to do was for them and for so many people who felt so disconnected from God for so long. And here's how he starts out his day. He tells his disciples to go get a donkey and um, prepare it so that I can begin to ride it into town and up a long and winding hill To the point where I'm at the foot of the Temple Mound. So if we can just show the temple real quickly, this is where he's headed. Uh, That that original one you showed. That doesn't really do justice to what actually was there during Jesus' day. It's this huge complex that had a, 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 a to the degree that it could a global reputation of being just a beautiful edifice that was designed for the worship of the Jewish people. And beyond that rendition were a series of buildings that were opulent. They were, they were like palaces, and it was, it was just a glorious sight to behold. And if you were one of the lucky few, you could live in one of those settings that were right next to, next to this. If you can imagine how intimidating it would be in the mind of somebody like Jesus To come from a humble background, to ride a donkey up a hill, and to go to that place, which is the very temple of the people of God. And at the center of that temple was one of the most powerful people in in, 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 in the religious world at the time, the high priest. And it was sanctioned by King Herod, who was responsible for saying, yeah, that first temple that Solomon built, it was okay, but this thing... This thing is just going to rock your world. And so for 40 years, they built this awesome temple. Okay, and Jesus is going up to this place. And not only is there a high priest, but there's a whole bunch of religious people that had this sense that we've been building this for a long time, but we've also been building power here for a long time. You see at the temple, a lot of things happen in their world. It wasn't like here where we just come to church. There, that was a setting for all things economic and political and religious. If you consider that picture right there, that's just one of the three gates going into the temple and what Jesus was beginning to move towards was this place and he was going to do it on a donkey and the significance of this moment bear with me this, this story is important it's kind of like your, you know, your setting this story kind of provides all of that and as Jesus is going up he's, he's aware that it's going to get kind of ugly and it's not going to go well or easy if you can imagine the, the, the temple being the central location of the economy of the country, it was the place where, if you think about Wall Street, it sort of had that, that, that element to it. It, was, um, it, it. it was, I can only think of one word, powerful, with very powerful people who had worked through generations, to secure that power over everyone else, both religiously, politically, and economically. Matter of fact, you couldn't really do much in that country without paying attention to the authorities that worked in this temple. And outside of the boundaries of that temple, lived in these opulent Beverly Hill-style mansions and it just said, we've worked hard to get to this place. We've established ourselves as the power brokers of everything here. And the only person we really have to worry about is Rome. And as long as we keep the peace, we can do whatever we want. And so Jesus is looking at this temple. And he's saying to his disciples and everyone around, what happened? You see, the idea was that people like you and I could go to the temple and people would openly say, we are glad you're here. We're glad that God is important in your mind. And we want to help you, in this case, offer a sacrifice or something that they did back then that would say, I want to make peace with God and I want to get close to God. And the temple was there to just help all of that happen. But something funny happened along the way to becoming... A block of power. And that was the religious side of it was there not so that people could say yes to God and come close to God. It was there so that the people there could control you and get rich off of you. So Jesus is riding on a donkey into this place with concerned individuals that see Jesus as a tiny threat not a big one because he's a nobody from nowhere well Jesus is carrying on because in his heart he's got a whole different vision of what, what, what's going on you see God's people had for so long come to church and church basically said it's not really about church you see it's about networking it's about power it's about money it's about who you know and, and who you should know and whether you fit in or don't fit in and maybe you've had that experience in, in church. I don't know. But in, God, in Jesus' day, that's how people felt. Like, I, I I couldn't connect with God. I couldn't even begin to answer the question, yes to God, because, well, the gatekeepers won't let us in. And Jesus is not happy about the state of affairs because the whole story of the Bible is about him coming into the world and showing us who God is, what, what God would look like if he were one of us. And Interestingly enough, the people that should recognize him said, Who are you? W- w- what do you think you're doing? So Jesus is riding up the hill on the donkey. And if you were putting the math together that he's here to take on that, you would just say, They're going to they're gonna have your lunch. And it's not going to go well, Jesus. And this is a fool's errand well the next the next scripture that you see in this chapter real quickly is um, uh, is is afterwards um the disciples they they go get the they go get the donkey and uh Jesus does exactly what I mentioned a minute ago and then move on to the next one and then after that um he walks into the temple and in that place with all the columns it's like the mall and there're are all kinds of people selling all kinds of stuff that have to do with religious activities. Back in the day when you wanted to worship God, you had to offer a a, a lamb or a turtle dove or some grain. That's just the way it was set up. But the cool thing was is that if you were a person selling this, it was a way to make a lot of money. You see, Jerusalem normally would have about 50,000 people Now it has 500,000 people and they all are coming to worship on Passover. It's a big deal for them and there needs to be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice made by people who want to come close to God on that occasion. The problem is the closest stable and place you can buy it is way down the hill and then up up a good ways away or for a special rate today we can sell you A lamb. You need a lamb? We can give you a bulk discount. We can sell you a turtle dove. Need two, 10, how many are there with you? But the interesting thing was, as they were selling it to you, they, they said, well, you can't really use your money. You gotta use this money over here. It's not the money that, that we normally use. So we're gonna exchange your money for that money. And we can just kind of raise the exchange rate And inflate it a little bit. Make you feel like you're getting a deal, but we're really ripping you off. All right. Now Jesus is looking at this. And he's the son of God. And he sees the temple that's supposed to represent all things that have to do with God. And he's just starting to seethe with anger. And he goes into that place with all the columns. Let's go ahead and show that again if we can. And it's full of all of these different Places to exchange money and to buy goods. And he just starts throwing tables over and he starts smashing uh, all of the, 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 the coin boxes and everything is just thrown into a state of anarchy. And a lot of people are looking at that and they're saying, what is he doing? Does he have a death wish? And Jesus is just so livid because he sees everything... Through the eyes of the Father. And the Father is just, it's just gut-wrenching. Well, one one guy with a donkey and some anger, what do you think the odds are that he's going to beat this thing? You know, they've been working hard to keep it going, and they're not too excited about the fact that he's stirring things up, and we're just going to have to shut him down a little bit. Who are you, Jesus? Who do you think you are? You have the gall to do what you're doing. You've been, for three years, going around healing people, making us look bad, bad bad-mouthing the the temple, bad-mouthing the power establishment, doing all of these things that are turning people against us, and we've had enough. We're done with you. And Jesus just sees this thing escalating. And common sense would say, man, this isn't going to end well. Well, it goes on, and it tells a story about Jesus walking by a, a fig tree, and it doesn't bear fruit. And he curses it, and it dies. And then he says something weird. If you have faith, just like a small, tiny amount of faith... You can actually tell this mountain, go into the sea and it will. And he's pointing at the mountain that the temple is on. And he's pointing at the religious people and he's saying they're supposed to bear fruit and they're not doing anything. And it was just kind of a veiled threat. I mean, you can take that prayer in other directions too and I'd encourage you to do that. But for now, what he's saying is, it's not gonna end, you think it's not going to end well for me, it's not going to end well for them. Now let's just stop for a minute and kind of see what's going on in terms of power. Here's a powerful group of people who are just tired of Jesus doing his stuff. And then there's Jesus who was going around to different people and just showing the love of God, healing people, helping people to be redirected, to the feet of of the Father, loving on him. And now he's angry. And now we have an issue with authority. And authority really is what's what's, what's at work here. The authority that you have to say no to God, and God has given you that authority. Everyone in the room can say no. God will not take that away from you. He has given you free will. He respects your dignity. He wants you to love him, but... If Brian said, Saret, you will love me whether you love me or not, what do you think she would have said? Well, Brian would probably have some bruises on him, may not come into work the next day. I mean, you can't coerce somebody to love you. You just have to want to. And Jesus was saying, this is the face of God showing compassion. And this is the anger of God saying, the religious people of all people have been shutting it down and distorting the whole picture of who I am to these people that have been disconnected from me for so long. And Jesus has just had enough. So he tells the disciples in kind of a little bit of a parable, it's getting ready to get ugly. And a few years after this, by the way, just an FYI, that whole temple complex, gone. That whole religious structure, gone. All of those people taking money, Gone. And the church just keeps going on because some people said yes to God. And God made the unthinkable, the impossible, the unimaginable, the inexplicable happen in ways that speak to our hearts. So Jesus curses the fig tree, and then, well, then we're kind of back to our conversation. The machine has had enough. And so the machine has set some people down there to begin the process of sorting Jesus out and ending this thing once and for all. So they go down there and they say to Jesus, let's go back to that first slide you, you showed us, Ryan. They say to Jesus, um, uh, uh, the, the black one, there you go. He entered the temple and these guys are ready. And they just came up to him and they said to themselves, we're done. We're done with this guy. Shut him down. So they're like, okay, Jesus, who do you think you are? By what authority are you doing this? And I don't know about you, but if it were just me and I saw, saw all of these people in robes, very powerful, and saw what they established, I'd be shaking in my boots. And who gave you that authority? Who do you think you are? And this is why I love Jesus. Jesus. Because those kind of people, they're all over the place. And they do do that. And they don't like to have things disrupted. They don't like to lose control. And Jesus answered them and said, I'll ask you a question. Just one. And if you tell me the answer, then I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Is that fair enough? So they agree. And Jesus asked them this question. Go ahead. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from men? And they discussed it among themselves. And they said, (laughs) that's a good one. If we say from heaven he'll say to us then why didn't you believe him because everybody believed that John was, was, was the real deal that John was doing the work of the Lord everybody knew it they just knew in their gut yeah that guy he's from the Lord and nobody's going to dispute that and they're like yeah we get that so uh, if we say that then they'll say why didn't you believe him who are you And then it goes a little bit further into it. But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd uh, uh, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answer Jesus, don't know Jesus, you tell us. (laughs) And Jesus said, you tell me because I'm not going to tell you until you answer the question. And so Jesus just kind of turned that around. Now, this is, this is sort of the Bible background of this, because a lot of us don't have Bible, you know, all the stuff that I've, I, I've been able to do over the years in learning it. So I, I want to I kind of help you to see what the Bible said a long time ago. You see, there was another king whose son said, I want to take over. I want, the, I want the kingdom. The king is getting ready to die. And if, if, if I can, I, I want that job. And he told his mom, Mom, help me to get that job. See, King David had several wives, and one of them said, I want my son to do it. I want him to have that power. But David had already had another idea in mind, and it had to do with another son named Solomon. However, the other son that I just mentioned initially had already postured himself In light of a dad that's failing, who's got dementia, who is starting to really, you know, he's near the end. And he already began to consolidate all of his power. He began to take control. And there was another son who was supposed to get that job, and he didn't. And he ended up being the wisest king of all. Who do you think the wisest king of all was in the Bible? Anybody want to know? Anybody want to offer? Solomon. And here's what Solomon did he showed his great wisdom and this is going somewhere i'm just setting this up for you and hopefully you can you can bear with me there were two prostitutes that came to solomon and they both had babies and the situation was these young these young these young ladies with their babies lived in the same home and one night the baby died for one of the one of the young ladies and she was so upset because she lost her baby that she switched the the baby of the other woman with her and when the lady woke up and saw that the child had been born or had died, she was just beside herself, but she looked closer and she said, that's not my baby. You have my baby. Do not do too. And so they took it to Solomon and Solomon said, yeah, we have a dilemma here. I, I, I can't, don't have a DNA test. Can't figure out what's going on here, but I can't ask you a question. And it's this. Let's just cut the baby in half and give you both a part. Now the response answered the question because the mom that had the child originally said, I don't want that child to die. If it's going to mean that, you take the child. And the other one, well, Solomon said, it's hers. Take your baby. And then the other one was so angry because she had been thwarted in her deceit. And everybody marveled at Solomon for that reason. But before Solomon was a king, he rode on a donkey up the temple to the place where he would rule. And two priests anointed him as priest and king, as well as a wise man. And when Jesus came, everybody knew that story and he embodied that. And then when he wisely told them what he did and the question that he turned around, he was telegraphing to everybody. Even though all of this religious stuff is screaming, this is where God is, this is how you get to God, this is what you must do. But yet everybody was saying, no, that's just garbage. Because when we see Jesus... He's wise like Solomon. He's got the demeanor of a king. And the words that he say are from God. Now you've got two places you can go to church. You can go to the temple and try to sift through all of that crap that's been put in the way. And hope against hope that you can hear the voice of God. Or you can go simply to Jesus and hear it from the man. And God's heart aches for us in such a way that he loves us the way we are. And his grace is sufficient to call us into a relationship with him. But he does not like us to keep persisting in things that work against what's in our best interest and his as well. You see, when I watch the story about the religious leaders, I'm asking the question, how much do I have pride? How much do I have arrogance? How much do I not treat people the right way? How much am I exploitative? How much am I stealing from other people? How much am I being deceitful? Because the story is actually designed to challenge us. Now, I love hearing sermons, but I hate it when it calls something out in my life that's not right. And when Jesus says, do you believe, and you say yes, and you begin to say yes to God, he'll also say, well, this is sort of the sidebar thing. You'll have to unfriend some things in your life. And it's not like you've got to just clean it all up right away. But you'll find that as I come alive in you, the things that you used to do that were hurtful for yourself and other people, we're going to begin to work on that. And the more you become, like I am, in heart and in humility and in desire for the things of God, the more I can use you. The more you can have a voice. The more when you go into whatever place that you work at or family situation where people are broken and lost and hurting and they see that Jesus is alive in you, conversations will will open up. And it's just part of saying yes to him. There was a baseball uh, guy, his name was George Steinbrenner. Anybody ever hear of George Steinbrenner? Just put a picture up of him real quick, and then I'm and then I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. There he is. He was the owner of the uh, the New York Yankees back in the day, and. He fired 14 general managers, 25 team managers, a whole bunch of prima donna players. Nobody messed with George Steinbrenner. He was the power guy. He was the guy that you did not cross. He was the guy that people said, if you want to get something done, you'll get it done through him. He was the guy who had authority. He's the guy who was just drunk on power. Would anyone in the room here want to live in the house of George Steinbrenner. Would anybody be interested in that? Would you like to have him as a neighbor? Well, that's what Jesus saw when he saw the religious people. He saw that. But Jesus, they said, by what authority are you doing this? And that's where Jesus has so much weight and authority in the minds of so many people. And that's why people say I want to follow you. I want to say yes to you. Because your authority is different. Rather than beating up on people, putting people down, shaming them, doing things that broken people don't need because they're already broken, in humility, you go and you bind up their wounds, you touch their lives, you make them whole, you help them to kind of get back on the path. And it seems like the only things in people that you're angry about are the things that are not the way they should be. And when you take that frustration and you direct it towards each of our lives, what's so interesting is if we are open to saying yes, he's like, I'm actually here as your friend. I'm here to help you through this. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to... Take what is broken and bind it up. But if you have a spirit of arrogance towards him, he'll just be like, I respect your authority, and maybe one of these days, you'll see the weight of mine. When somebody serves you, it just, I don't know, it changes. It helps you to say, I would do anything for that person. And when Jesus sets himself up like this, he's telling you and I, that when I come into the world and you see that temple and you think that's the only way to God and then you look at me and you say that's also, that, that's the alternative path right there and all you see are the hands and feet of the Father at work in the Spirit of love in the lives of people. But also firm enough to, to call out that stuff and say that is wrong, wrong, wrong. When I see that in Jesus... I'm like sign me up because your heart's right you call out the things that are wrong and when you look at me I could just melt under all of that weight of the authority of your character but your eyes are of love and compassion and grace how do you do that Jesus? all of us come into this room and we got things in our rearview mirror we're ashamed of. Things that we're like God if you knew, if they knew, you knew. God's like "I, I know but I have you here for a reason and it's to help you to trust me and maybe for some of us that trust is just recognizing there are dark forces at work They want to keep us down like the temple represented of all weird things, but was eventually destroyed. Jesus is saying, whatever dark forces are at work in your life, there will come a day when God will shut them down. But maybe the one thing that they did is they help you to see the good things in comparison. And when Jesus shows us that, He promises that His authority Is able to transfer us out of the dominion of darkness and the captivity of everything that keeps us from God, and even the willfulness that says, I can't do the God thing. When we say yes to Him, He starts to work on our will and our hearts and our eyes. Things change. Just like any good friendship should, because He's a friend but he's also a very powerful friend and he wants to pull us close so let's get rid of that guy and let's put something else up there we're tired of looking at you George but the question for you today is in, in all of this is what is God asking you to say yes to now let me give you for instance as a pastor my first yes was yes Lord I will make you my Lord and Savior, because I've been putting you off for a long time. And you didn't drag me into this. You just kept wooing me and showcasing your beauty and your glory and your character and your love. And it came to the point where I just had to say yes. And in any given day, I wake up, and my first conversation is, if it's not with you know, saying something to my wife or the dog, The first intentional conversation is inviting the Lord into my heart and saying, Lord, follow me through this day. Direct my path. Help me with the stuff that I have to face. I'm trusting you and I'm paying attention to everything that you put me into each day because I want you to be a part of those situations. And so before I came up here, I asked him to be a part of that. And many other parts of the day, just as a for instance, I just invited him into that. That conversation, that situation, that thing I had to do. And it's amazing what a difference Jesus makes when you say yes to having him in your life. And my goal here is to just help you to get to that place. Or wherever it is that you are with him, he's asking you to say yes to something. It's just the way he is, the way he moves us. He may be saying, I want you to be a part of my family. And that's part of the reason why we get baptized and why we accept him as our Lord and Savior is so that we can begin to experience that family dynamic. Maybe it's, yes, I want you to serve or I want you, whatever member at the beginning of the message, I said, God speaks to us in different ways. Maybe he's speaking to you now about something going on in your life that you just need to settle with him or trust him with. And the Bible's a good guide for trying to sort that out if you need to, or us. And if we can help you with that, we will. Well, at the end of the day, I hope that you do believe that Jesus is worthy of your yes because everything that he's done and beyond has been designed to facilitate that response. I don't know what would have happened over here if she just said, You know what, I'm gonna weigh my options. That would have been a weird ending for sure. And I'm so glad it ended that way. And when God looks at you, he's saying, I see a you weighing your options. And I got, to be honest with you, the options that I've given you and my son. Are pretty hard to beat. And maybe it's just bringing him into your life. Would you bow with me? Father, I've taken up a chunk of everybody's time in closing this out. I hope that I've been able, Lord, to showcase the events that happened in the way that they did. How he just took on this huge machine for us. And the machine just runs beyond the temple complex and people that are exploiting. The way of life in you to the unseen powers of darkness behind there that they're just simply puppets for and all of those forces of evil Jesus you just walked right into it for us for everyone in the room so that we could be set free by your faithfulness and obedience and I pray Lord that the eyes and the hearts of the minds of everyone here would have the scales removed or anything that's keeping us from seeing that, that we could see that with clarity and that we could know the significance of what you've done. So just work in every heart here. Use myself, others who just are familiar faces here to come alongside, however the case may be. May you be glorified and may your son be magnified in our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.